All right. How many of you know who Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is? Okay, a few of you. Don't the rest of you read? You ever hear of Sherlock Holmes? How many of you heard of Sherlock Holmes? That's a little better. It's not the guy you see on TV. It's really not him. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is the author who wrote the Sherlock Holmes novels. Uh, he was knighted in England. He was, he was very famous, was very famous, just not here, evidently. But he was known <laughs> He was known to have a great sense of humor. And obviously his, his stories, he, he, they were novels. He made them up. And one day he decided to do something to a number of his friends. You know, with a name like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, he was friends with some pretty elite people in London at the time. So he selected 12 of his friends, his influential famous friends, and he decided to send them a telegram. Very short telegram. Just six simple words. Flee at once. All is discovered. Pray that you never get that in a Facebook message. <laughs> Flee at once. All is discovered. In a very, very short time, all 12 of his influential friends fled the country. They were good people. There were no deep, dark secrets. And though the story is probably fictitious, like a lot of his writing, it gives us a great example of how much guilt there is in the lives of people. Flee at once. All's been discovered. Oh my gosh, now they know those deep, dark secrets that we've been trying to hide for so long. Sadly, even in the church, even in the church, there can be that kind of fear, that kind of guilt, that kind of shame about our past, things we've done, things we've said, those things that we hope no one ever finds out. Even in the church, we see those things occur brings questions to our mind as Christians even. You know, God, has God really forgiven me? Have I really been forgiven of all that stuff? Is he going to punish me? Is he going to punish me in this life? Am going to punish me in the afterlife? And we live in all these kinds of fears that we should not ever, as Christians, live in. We should be able to get that Facebook message and say, great, let it come. I've got nothing to hide. I've been forgiven and set free. Total forgiveness is the title of my message. Total forgiveness. I think most of us have heard the line, if something seems too good to be true, it usually is. Total forgiveness seems too good to be true. What's the catch? There is none. There is no catch. And as the body of Christ and his, his, his children, we sang about his being his children, children of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. We're his children. There is no catch if we have truly, and I always say truly, accepted Jesus Christ. Because I personally believe there's many, many people who have made a public affirmation They've maybe made a decision, some sort of intellectual decision. Or maybe sometime in their life when they were absolutely miserable and they were looking for a magic silver bullet, they prayed the prayer, what everybody wanted to say, wanted them to say, they said it. 
But there really was no transformation. There really wasn't a born-again experience. So when I say truly, I believe once we have been truly saved, and it's a free gift given by grace, through faith we receive it. Every single sin, every single sin. You hear Pastor Bob and me, and I'm sure Pastor Casey, say this over and over and over. Our sins have been forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, they've been forgiven. And we forget that, evidently. Just think of this. If that reality has really settled into my spirit, where is there any room for the enemy to come at me with guilt? Shame. Fear. Intimidation. It's all gone. Every door has been closed. If I truly, truly, truly believe that truth, that I am totally forgiven, past, present, future, Now, just because there is forgiveness doesn't mean there's not going to be some consequences. We get that. We understand that. There are things that I did when I was a long, long time ago. Let's just go there. A long time ago. There were consequences. I still face some of those consequences. You know, 30 years later, they're not quite as serious. But I still get this. You're a Christian? I mean, you're a pastor? I remember when. And I'm not going to go any further than that. There's a price. But that's okay, because I can say, you know what? I did all that and more, but I've been redeemed. My sins have been forgiven. There's no guilt. There's no shame. The writer in the book of Hebrews, and that's where we're going to be going. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, we're going to look at the first 18 verses. We're going to break it into four pieces. And I, 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 I like this. I, I love the book of Hebrews. I love it because he repeats things over and over and over, so I finally get it. So as you're reading through Hebrews, you'll discover he's, he's, it's like he's just pounding this into them over and over and over. And he's speaking, the writer is writing to the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, who are, who are, who are going through uh, persecution of all kinds, and they're constantly being reminded of the Jewish past, their religious past. I mean, you really don't go and offer sacrifices? What kind of, you can't be, you, you're in trouble. You can't be God's kids. You, you, don't, you don't go to the priests and do all these things that we're supposed to do. You don't kill some doves or whatever, and you don't do that. They're constantly facing that, and they're being tempted. They're being tempted to go back to that old way of religion. They're going, and, and when I say religion, and I talk about the Jews, we say, well, what's all I got to do with us? Really, it has a lot to do with us. Because all of that stuff that they were required to do was nothing but works. Works. Do this, do it this way, do it this day, do it this often, and start over and do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. Man, I'd get tired of doing it again. It was works. And there are so many people who are believers, who are still being tormented with doing the works, good works. I got to do this. I got to do that. What if I don't? I didn't do this. And then all of a sudden, guilt, shame, condemnation. Our freedom starts to disappear. And when we're living in those things, they're sin. When I'm feeling shame, it's something I need to confess as sin because it's not what the Bible says. It's contrary to the Word of God. When I'm feeling condemned, that's contrary to the Word of God. And when I do things and participate in things contrary to the Word of God, guess what it's called? 
sin. And sin opens the door to the attack of the enemy. And all of a sudden, I'm being tormented with all these things about being a failure and I'm never going to be good enough and blah, blah, blah. When we start slipping back any way in our mind, thinking about having to do works to earn the favor of God, in His sight, we're His children no matter what. The Bible is clear. Obedience brings blessing. So there is a good reason to obey. Not as good as simply because we love Him, but it's a good reason to obey. So let's go ahead and look at the first section I want to look at, the first four verses of Hebrews. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. The law. And I, I know most of us, I think most of us understand this, but in that law, God gave specific details. How to build the temple or the tabernacle, where to put all the pieces of furniture, what they represented. And then he went through great detail of offering up the sacrifices, the animals to kill them, what they were to, supposed to do, how they were supposed to cut them up, where they were supposed to burn them, uh, what they were supposed to do with the others. I mean, everything. When to go into the altar, when to sprinkle the blood, all this stuff. All of this had to take place perfectly. Perfectly. The high priest is the only one that ever got into what was called the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's where the, the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, that was representative of God's presence, that's where that was located. And he had to go in there very, very carefully and specifically following all the instructions because if he didn't, if he messed up, guess what happened? He was dead. Tradition tells us the high priest went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, and when he went in there, they would tie a rope around his ankle. Talk about freedom. I'm going to go worship God. Tie the rope around my ankle. Why did they tie a rope around his ankle? Because if he died in there, no one else was going in. Because they were afraid and because they'd have been struck dead. No freedom to worship. This was the religious system, the, the system of works. And we want to avoid that system of works. Okay, the Scripture, the law is only a shadow of things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Wouldn't that be great if the primary purpose of your worship was to be reminded how bad you are? Come on, everybody, we're gathered together this Sunday. We're going to worship God, and we're going to remind you how rotten you are. We're going to dredge up everything that you've ever done. can hardly wait for the next service. This is the kind of services, this is the kind of sacrifices, this is the kind of religion that they were under. It was God's ordained way of worshiping. It was his idea. But its purpose was to remind the people of their sin and their need for a holy God. To make perfect in the scripture that I just read refers to our standing in God's sight. Those sacrificing of all those animals never made them perfect in their standing before God. In other words, even when they did it all right, 
It just allowed them to live another year. They were not cleansed of their sin. It just covered it, held back the wrath of God. But we have been made perfect through the blood of Christ. When we talk about being made perfect, it's a total cleansing from sin. Total cleansing from sin. We should have a clear conscience. There should be no place for that guilt, shame, fear, condemnation. You know, when there is unconfessed sin in our lives, it does not draw us to a place of worship of God. Now, there may even be times when you're faking it really, really well. And everybody around you thinks, well, they got it together. Look at them worship the Lord. God knows. He searches our heart. He, he's not interested in phony worship. You know, when, when we have that unconfessed sin, we'd just as soon hide from God. Uh, and it's pretty normal. Look at Adam and Eve. What'd they do? They sinned. First thing they did, heard the Lord walking in the garden, they ran and hid. Like that was going to work. But that sin became a barrier in their relationship with God. In verse 3, the animal sacrifices only provided a reminder of their sin. That's it. In verse 4, the animal blood had no permanent efficacy. In other words, you know, <clears throat> we, can, we can take a medication of some sort. They could prescribe us this medication and, and tell us, we're going to you know, kind of treat the symptoms, but it does not have any efficacy to cure what's the problem. So I feel great. But it happens all the time, and that's what we're looking at here. They did not have the power to do what it was designed to do. It did not have the power to cleanse from sin. So the writer of Hebrews is making the point to the, the, the readers of Hebrews, he's making the point that the sacrifices of animals as prescribed by the law, even though it was God's law, they w- could not completely remove guilt and sin. It wasn't in the design. Then in verse 5, it starts out with therefore. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because the animal sacrifices, the blood of animals couldn't do anything, therefore... When he came into the world, Jesus, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your work, O God, to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now, if I'm a Jewish listener hearing about this, that would be like you sitting down and telling me about all the good things you're doing. I mean, you're helping every little old lady you see cross the street. You're sending money to this place and that place. You're, you're part of every organization that's doing anything good anywhere on the planet. You may even go on mission trips every six months. You're telling me all these things, and when you get all done, I say, big deal. 
I'm not impressed with any of that. It doesn't do you a bit of good. That's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people. It's like, we've been sacrificing these animals and we've been doing all of this stuff for all these hundreds of years and now you're telling us it meant nothing to you. You never desired them. You never wanted them. What was the point? God is telling them he was never interested in the sacrifices. They didn't bless him. They didn't bring joy to his heart. What he was looking at is the heart of the people bringing the offering. What he wanted to see in their prescribed way of worship wasn't the act of worship. He wanted to see hearts of repentance and thanksgiving. And it's the same today. All those things that we do to to bring glory and honor to God are great. They're great. But what he really is concerned about is your heart. The heart. What is your relationship with him? Is he truly your first love? Is he truly your motivation for doing all those things you're doing? You know, and sometimes we do lots of things for selfish reasons. Sometimes we do it to be seen. Sometimes we do it because we like it. Sometimes we do it because it makes us feel better about those things we should have done before that we didn't do. God said, I don't care. I'm looking at your heart, the heart of worship. When we're worshiping God corporately together, when you're worshiping individually, he is looking at your heart. few things that he points out here, I think, very clearly to the people is that the cross, first of all, was the direct will of God. Jesus said, and he's quoting from Psalms, I believe Psalm 40. He's quoting that from there, and he said, this is, the cross was God's idea. I come to do your will, O God, the cross. And he's telling the people this because they could have easily been thinking, well, gee, he died on that cross. We've all been, we're being persecuted Times are tough. You know, when's he coming back? We've been hearing this now for a few years already. He's not come back yet. And he's just saying, you know what? The cross wasn't an accident. He wasn't surprised. God sent his son in the flesh to fulfill the wall perfectly. That he came, that he would die as a sacrifice, no surprise, and that the justice of God would be perfectly met, just as he demanded. This is all part of the plan, that the payment for sin would be made in full. And he's telling this, he's explaining this to the people so they understand that they're totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. You would think we wouldn't have to hear that over and over, but we do, I do. I have to be reminded, my sins have been forgiven. Second thing he really points out in those scriptures, I believe, is he's showing that he has taken away the first, that old religious order of sacrifice, sacrificial worship, and established the second according to the will of God at the cross. It was all about the worship. Not the mode of, not all of the things that they were doing. It was about the heart of worship. And the third thing in that section of Scripture I believe we can see that there's a real demonstration of the obedience of Christ demonstrated to us and for us. Through Christ's obedience to God's will at the cross, we receive perfect standing before God. It says we have been sanctified. We have been sanctified. This refers to an inward cleansing. At the moment of salvation, There is an inward sanctification, an inward cleansing. Our sins are gone. 
You know, we, we can go before the throne of God. One on one. No intermediary except Jesus. And we can go boldly. As the scripture says, go boldly before the throne of grace. Man, the, the, the high priest, the only person in the nation that could go into the Holy Holies had to go in there with fear and trembling, making sure he did everything right with a rope tied to his ankle so he didn't die and rot in there. That was his worship. We can go before the throne and worship anytime, any place. Perfect. Welcome. Pure. Sanctified. And it said, having been sanctified... You know, sometimes when you look at a Greek word and you see how it's translated into English, you need to look a little bit further. And I am not a Greek, a student of Greek, but I do own a lexicon or two. And they're all free on the Internet, so you don't even have to buy one. But you'll learn in the Greek, one of the things that's very important is besides the way it's translated is the tense of the word. It can, the same word can mean it happened once a long time ago. It can mean it happened a long time ago and it's continuing on indefinitely. Or sometimes it can even mean that it's going to, hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Here the tense of the word is, we have been sanctified and you are being sanctified and it's going to continue to be sanctified. In other words, this cleansing for us was permanent. You're cleansed today, tomorrow, and if you live 100 years, you're cleansed 100 years from now. That internal cleansing, it's a done deal. God's kids can walk in total freedom and liberty because of that cleansing. Those Old Testament things, they had to do it every single year, over and over and over again. Generations of priests, they would die off and there'd be a new high priest. They'd die off and there'd be a new high priest. They had to do these things year after year after year. Jesus did it once, that we would never, ever, ever, ever have to offer a sacrifice. There was no way animal blood could do what only human blood could do. God had to send Jesus to earth in the form of a man. All God, all man, because it took pure human blood. Part of his perfect plan was for Jesus to fulfill the law perfectly so when he was, his blood was shed, it was sinless blood. No other human could have took that, that cross. And that's why you and I can do nothing to earn our salvation. Absolutely nothing except receive by faith the gift of grace that he's offering us. So he's telling them, his readers, that the, the old system's gone now. There's a new system in place. Don't go back to the bondage of the old system. And for us today, you know, this whole works thing, there are many of our denominations that are out there that are still putting and attaching all these works to your salvation. You're required to do this, do that. If you don't do this, uh uh-oh, you better bring a sacrifice. Usually now funny, it's money. But it's still out there. And we tend to put that on ourselves, this thought that we need to do something to, to get back in the family. There are many things we need to do to confess, to keep our relationship with God the way it it should be. But you're never, never kicked out of the family. We should confess. If you sin today and it brings to confess it. Lord, I confess that I did this again. I am am so sorry. I, I intend to turn away from it. Thank you that in Christ I've been forgiven. It's not that he puts, oh, oh, the scorecard. Because all it takes in that scorecard is one sin that's not forgiven and we're not going to heaven. If there's one sin that's going to be held against me, that means Jesus died for nothing. 
when it comes to judgment. But we all know in our own relationships when there's things going on and when there's sinful things going on, it stresses our relationship, strains our relationship. God sent Jesus to die that we could have intimate relationship again. When we mess up, and we do all the time, let's just confess it, get back in the right place at the table, and go on. Let's not let guilt or shame or condemnation come in and steal our joy and our testimony. Hebrews verse 11, it says, Every piece stands daily ministering and offering time after time. Notice how he tends to repeat himself. Time after time, the same fact sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He knew that those people needed to hear it more than once. We need to hear it more than once. It's a message that shouldn't be unfamiliar to any of us. But we need to hear it because as soon as we start forgetting our sins are forgiven, we start to live without the freedom that God intends for us. Our testimony and our witness becomes dulled. There are so many things. Our peace starts to wane. You know, we should have a peace no matter what the circumstance. Because our peace isn't in circumstance. It's in the Lord and who He is and what He's done and therefore who I am. Joy. It's not a big deal, but I think it's a neat picture that the priest stands daily and Jesus, our high priest, is seated at the right hand of the Father. There was no chair in the Holy of Holies. The work was never going to be done under the old law. When Jesus finished on the cross, and he said, it is finished. And when he was raised from the dead, and when he was ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. His work that he was sent to earth to do was finished. One time, for all time. He's still working for us, but he's interceding. He's our mediator. He's no longer going to do anything that's going to cause our sins to be more uh, clearly or better forgiven. It's done. There is no other sacrifice. Once for all. And he could have stopped that section of Scripture right there, but he finished a little bit further. He went on and said, and there will come a time he's waiting until his enemies will be made a footstool. I kind of think, and this is conjecture on my part, but I do think that could have easily been to just encourage the people at that time. And we've been waiting another 2,000 years just about. They say, well, where is he? We're being persecuted more daily. Uh, The religious people, man, we left the church, but they're not happy with us. They're telling us if we don't get back and do the right thing, we're not not even going to make it. And he's saying, you know what? Don't worry. There's a day coming when every single enemy of the Lord will be made his footstool. There's a day coming. And we sometimes just need to hang on to that. It can get discouraging looking out in the world and see what's going on. And Christianity is getting persecuted around the world. Persecution's increasing in our country. It's only going to get worse. This isn't for, uh, for weak-minded people. It's being a Christian is the greatest thing on earth, but it's going to become one of the more difficult. 
But the grace of God is always sufficient. And our testimony will continue to draw people to Jesus. We need to remember that our position in Christ, that sanctification inward, took place instantly at your salvation. Instantly. It's done. And then it says we're being sanctified, which means we're walking out in a very practical way our our closer walk of holiness and obedience to the word. We're walking that out, and that's going to be a lifelong trip. But positionally, we are already there the moment of our salvation. And this section of Scripture closes in verse 15 through 18. It says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, after, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and, their mind I will, and, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's interesting to me here that the writer of Hebrews is quoting Old Testament prophet. To the Jews, the Old Testament prophets carried weight. So he goes back and he is quoting from the prophet Jeremiah. And he's quoting a prophet that would line up exactly with what he has been trying to tell them over and over and over. That the old way is gone. There's a new and better way coming. And it's came and it's in Jesus Christ. There's no other sacrifice that's ever going to be made that would be sufficient. And if we believe the Bible as Christians, if we believe the Bible is true, there is no other way to spending eternity in heaven with God except through Jesus Christ. No other way. And it is going to get harder and harder and harder to stand on that truth in the days that keep coming. Our world is full of there are many ways to God. You're an intolerant, bigoted, religious zealot if you think your way is the only way. Well, when it comes to the fact I am a very intolerant, religious zealot, there is only one way. But that doesn't mean we don't love everybody that believes there are other ways. doesn't make them right. But we're called to love them anyway. But it's going to get harder and harder to stand on that truth amongst our friends, amongst our family members, and then anywhere you go, that there is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, his only Son. Church, we can't waver on that. We can't waver on that. Ever. You know, this universalism that's out there. There are men of God who have been mired for years. All of a sudden, their theology is changing. All of a sudden, things that were clearly wrong for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the church are now being magically reinterpreted to be more inclusive, to be more tolerant, to be more loving. It's not inclusive. It's not intolerant. It, it, it is not loving to agree to falsehoods. The truth and love is what's required. And the writer of Hebrews is declaring this, and he's using the Old Testament prophet to make his point. Where there is forgiveness of sin, there is no longer a need for sacrifice, which is clear evidence that all those animals they killed for all those hundreds of years, thousands of years, there was no forgiveness of sins because there would have been no need for more animals to be killed. When there has been forgiveness of sins through Jesus, there is no additional sacrifice that can ever be made. 
ever. I want to close with a little story. It's a very brief story. Kind of a silly story. But it helps to really make the picture of why would we go back in any way, shape, or form to whatever was the shadow of something versus the real thing. And we start going back to thinking good works or good deeds or religious activities, all those things, versus the real thing. That's exactly what we're doing. There was a guy by the name of uh, Kent Hughes. He wrote a book called Hebrews, The Anchor for the Soul. And he, he uses this illustration of a young man who falls totally in love with this beautiful young lady. But he and his lover are separated by distance and time. Maybe he went to war, who knows what. But he had this picture of her. And he would look at that picture of her every, every day. He would look at that picture and be reminded of how beautiful she was, how much he loved her. Finally, he gets back together with her and they get married. Awesome. He's got the love of his life. He's got the real thing. The photo is still there, but now he has her. But then one day, he starts acting kind of weird, strange. And he stands before his beautiful wife and clutching the photo to his chest. And he tells, tells her, he says, you know, I've really missed your photo. I'm going back to it. She's standing there with her mouth hanging open and he's walking away talking to his photo. Oh, photo, I love you so much. You've been so good to me. I missed you so much. What would we think? We'd think that guy's an absolute lunatic. But yet so often that's what we do with God. We somehow or other believe somebody that says something and you got to do this, you got to do that. We get all mired up in religious activities or, or works again, works theology. And all of a sudden we start adding to it. We maybe hang on to Jesus over here, but we start adding to it. And it's like, oh, the picture was so nice. I think I'll go back to the picture. We would never, ever, ever do that. And as I keep telling us in the days ahead, things are going to get harder. It's going to get harder. doesn't matter who's president. It's going to get harder. Our king is still king. Always will be. He is coming back one day. All his enemies will be under his foot. Until that day, we're his representation here on earth, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And we're called to let our light shine, speak truth with love, and advance the kingdom here on earth. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the writer of Hebrews. I thank you for the truths that are so clearly repeated God, that there is no other sacrifice than Jesus. None was sufficient. God, that there's nothing we could do. There's nothing we could offer you. There's nothing we could do for you. There's nothing we could do in your name, God, that would forgive a single sin. I'm thankful that we don't have to because Jesus paid the price once and for all. His blood was shed. His life was taken but he was raised from the dead and he is ascended and sitting at, right, sitting at your right hand. We have an advocate before you. God, I thank you that the veil was torn, that there is no veil separating us from your very presence, that we can come to you boldly. 
We can worship you with pureness of heart. No sin. Lord, and I pray that our worship is worthy and it's a blessing to you. Our time of worship in our private moments in our, in our homes or as we're driving down the road or our corporate gatherings, God, that our worship is pure. Lord, we pray now that as we go our different directions, you would watch over us, keep us safe. God, give us opportunities, those divine appointments to, to represent Jesus, the love of Jesus to people around us, that we can share the hope that we have, the certain hope that we have because of Christ. We pray for your uh, protection on the roads. I pray for our gathering here that's going to follow in just a few minutes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.